Welcome back to the Gods to Ghosts Volleyball Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bemke. Before we get started with part two of our interview with Wisconsin volleyball legend Tom Sorensen, I want to remind you that our podcasts are available to be listened to on any and all of the podcast delivery systems out there, including Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. All you need to do is type in Gods to Ghosts Volleyball, and you'll have access to all 75-plus of the interviews that we've done over the last year that we've been doing this. All right, let's pick up where we last left off in Part 1 with Tom Sorensen. You uh, went on to compete for the USA Men's uh, Indoor uh, Olymp- National Team. Tell me a bit about uh, that experience, how it came about, and uh, some of the highlights and lowlights from your uh, Olympic uh, career, Tom. Uh, It just came about uh, just being a good college player that invited me down, and I knew that's what I wanted to do. It's like, so it was never, to me, it was never in question. I knew that's what I was going to do, you know, as as long as they'd have me, of course, it wasn't, you know. Sure. And they invited me down. I think I took like two weeks off after the after the season was over because I had a stress fracture in my left leg that just needed you know time off from jumping and hitting and stuff like that to, mm-hmm. to heal it wasn't a big deal as long as I you know let it heal but I went down there and uh, you know it was some of the best years of my life for sure living in San Diego at that time it was fantastic uh, made some of my, my best friends of my life Brett Winslow is still very close to me this day we still, we still talk and chat and you know it was just it was hard though. I mean, it was, it was hard. I went. It's this is going to sound mean, or but in my mind, like moving up a level. But I felt like I had moved down a level in coaching. Like because I, I think Bob is the best coach in the world. You know, it's like sure. I'm sure other people think other people, but like, and then you know some of the other coaching stuff I just didn't agree with. You know, I think you know those are a pretty rough seven years for the U.S. team, minus one, like ninety four was probably the from the lowest of low to the highest of highs all in one year right because in 94 you know we went 0-12 in World League lost every single match in World League and we were playing like Brazil they were playing with Bulgaria and Greece and <laughs> teams that are good but they're not you yeah know. when you're losing to Tunisia that doesn't go over yeah well. exactly you're, you're, and I mean it got so bad that we, we went to Greece and we had a, a meeting with the uh, FIVB President Acosta, and he's he's ta- telling us that we need the USA to be good in volleyball. Like, you know, like we're trying to suck. You know, it's like, oh, you want us to be good? Okay. Yeah, it's uh, like someone we'll else's we'll parent now. having to tell you to, uh, you know, yeah. behave yourself. <laughs> so yeah, he's like, 
but then you know that same year after the world it was such a disaster we go to the we go to the world championships and we win a bronze medal you know they brought back Scott Fortune and Bob Stavrdlik uh, Jeff Nagar joined us from college he was still in college at that time so where he left and then Lloyd just joined the team too so you know a lot of changes but you know all of a sudden you go from 0-12 in the World League to winning a bronze medal that's a uh, so joyous, you know. Like, mm-hmm. And we lost in five to Holland in the semifinals match. We easily could have gone to the gold medal match. We lost in five in a very, very tough five set match. Yeah. And then we would have, we would have played Italy then. So it's like we played Cuba in the, in the bronze medal game, and I think we beat them in three. But I mean, to go from that from that low to that high is just you know such a thing. You know, looking back at the time of my USA volleyball time was a. I was talking to my friend Troy at a volleyball camp. We were just hanging out, having a beer afterwards. And uh, and he was just asking me questions about my volleyball career on the U.S. team. And it's something I'd never thought of until he brought it up. He's like, so on the national team, you played outside hitter, opposite, and middle blocker for over a year on each position. I was like, do you know anyone else that's ever done that? Yeah, that's a good point. And I'd never thought about it before. I knew a lot of people who played opposite and middle, and a lot of people played opposite and outside, but I, I cannot recall anybody that has played three positions for well over a year on the team, you know, which is something I'm pretty proud of. You know, I, I always try to tell people that don't try to be middle, don't try to be good outside, try to be a good volleyball player. You know, it's something he brought up, and I just kind of had that. It's almost like that conversation I had with my coach at, at my, you know, where he told me, you know, how much effect I had on my high school's success because of what I did. Right. And I'd never thought of, I'd never thought about that before until someone else told me. And, you know, I never thought about that same thing until he told me this. And I was just like, well, that's pretty cool. You know, I didn't win a lot of gold medals. You know, I won that one bronze medal, which most people don't seem to care about if it's not in the Olympics. But I did do something that I don't think many, hardly anybody else has ever done. So I think that's pretty cool. Absolutely, yeah. I didn't. I, I knew that you moved around. I didn't. I thought it was two positions, but now that I think yeah. about it, I do recall that you played middle, and then maybe like didn't you and uh, Nygaard swap positions or something like that when he came there? Like one. one well, of it was really weird. This is this is something that Nygaard, Nygaard and I uh, we bemoan every time we get together when we start. <laughs> you know, but when Nygaard came, we we had that good run where we won the bronze medal. It was with Nygaard at the opposite position, and then myself and Ivy were in the middle. But it was, you know, it was just at the time when jump serving just started kind of coming into being a bigger, bigger thing. And you had to have that third passer in there. Yep. So what they did was they always put Jeff in as a third passer wherever he was, and then myself and Ivy would hit the back row because there's no libero at this time. So you know, if you're in the middle, you're still in the back row. So we'd be hitting the D balls and the bicks and whatnot, and he'd be doing all the doing all the passing, which he did well. But so we win that bronze medal, you know, we have a really good run. We easily could have been in the, in the gold medal match. So Nygaard comes back after his senior year. We never went to that, that lineup ever again. Wow. And it's just crazy to think that we had all the success with Nygaard as the opposite, with Brian and I hitting the back row. I mean, Nygaard still hits the back row, but he had a little bit smaller role than, than Brian and I did because he was passing half the time. I was like, why would we not go back to that lineup that we just won a bronze medal with? Yeah, uh, did you guys ever approach the coach regarding that or no? 
I don't I don't think we ever thought about this. I don't I don't know. I'm sure Jeff thought about it. I never really did, you know. But like afterwards, I think about it. Like, I mean, there's a lot of stuff I, I think about that I just. When I look back at the time on the national team, I feel like our biggest flaw was that we were still holding on to the formula of the '84 and '88 and '92 bronze medal team, the '84 '88 gold medal team, the '92 bronze medal team, which was done before the era of you know jump servings taking over the game, where you had. Two smaller passers, you know, that were passing was so important. Like they always wanted the ball to be right on the top of the tape in the middle, blah blah blah. And like you kind of have your opposite and your middles are very offensive, and then your outsides are good passers and whatnot. You know, mm-hmm. where the rest of the world was going to, hey, five feet off the net's a fine pass. That's just fine. You know, they're getting bigger pin hitters that maybe weren't the the best best passers in the world, but they could pass the ball inside the ten foot line. And they could crush on the outside. And that was the formula that the rest of the world was going to, but we're still trying to do what we did. You know, we're not we're not evolving. You know, we're still trying to be that eighty four team with all the Spursons and Karch and you know, and then we're trying to you know Yep. The one with Sterlick and Karch and and that's just not it's not the way the game's going now. That we didn't evolve with the rest of the world. We kinda of stayed in our in our spot while everyone else passed us by. Like the rest of the world they didn't care if they missed jump serves. Us, if we missed two, we had to serve the rest of the match. You know, I was like, they were they were going for it. They were playing to yes. win. Yep, feast or famine. And I, I was I always describe like my early time on on the U.S. team as kind of the dark ages of men's volleyball because it was still side out scoring, and it was literally just teams like Italy and Brazil just blasting their serves as hard as they can, not caring if they missed. And missing a lot, a lot of serves. I mean, they would still win because they're, you know, they're they would side too. out, and then are, are they also, yeah. and then get, get so a few all points. you see is a missed serves and bad passes, and no offense is really run. And it was just not great volleyball to watch, which is one of the reasons I think you know rally scoring is so important that it came into play. Pertaining to when uh, you know you guys living there in that San Diego area, then who'd you have for uh, roommates? Were you living with Winslow? Uh, I lived with Duncan Blackman for my first two or three years, and then I just after that I lived with just uh, regular folk. <laughs> okay, people that I met around San Diego and stuff. Yeah, but Duncan, Duncan eventually got let go from the team, or and then uh, he and I had a great place in San Diego. It's probably my favorite apartment. Every time I go back there, I always walk by it. What part of San Diego was it in? We were in South Mission Beach, San Diego, right by the Beachcomber. Nice. Our favorite bar. But I always want to knock on the door and just ask how much rent is now there. I think it was, at that time, I think it was like $1,100 or something. Yeah, probably double that, if not more. I oh, at imagine. least. I bet it's at least 3000 Jeez. But yeah, we had a lot of great times down there. It was a great place to be, you know, 22, 23 years old, that's for sure. The 96 Olympics, you know, uh, you guys didn't have the success there that you had hoped to. What do you uh, recall about that tournament? Um, were there any highlights to it? What were the lowlights? And then who were some of the uh, Olympic caliber players that uh, were most uh, impressed by as, as far as talents? I, just remember, I remember being so close. We lost, we lost two five-set matches, one to Cuba and one to Bulgaria, that were neck and neck in the fifth set. That if we, if we won either of them, we'd have taken second in our pool. But because we lost both of them, we would have we took fifth in our pool, which is just shows you like how how much it matters. So when it's close, you know, it's like we were so close to having some recent success, but instead we left with just 
sheer disappointment. You know, it's like, it's not like NFL, NBA, where you got, okay, well, next season's one year away. It's like, no, four years from now, we can try this again. Right. Yeah, it's a lot of time and go by. I mean, that's what, it was great, like, in 2008 when those guys won the gold medal, getting to see some of the guys I've played with have that much success, you know, it was like... Long time coming. long time coming, <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, it's hard because, you know, U.S. team, 84 gold medal, 88 gold medal, 92 bronze medal, and we're the home team, and we're the ones that stop the streak, you know, it's our fault that, you know, the U.S. Is, did not get a medal, it was, you know, it was a bitter pill to swallow. Absolutely. In terms of some of the players that you uh, competed against at that Olympia indoor watched, who were the the ones that really uh, made an impression on you? Probably the guy that's Boss Vandegore. Oh yeah, those du- with the Dutch guys, right? Or... Yeah, Boss Vandegore was. I mean, I think six ten, six eleven, just had range in his arm. Could do. He could hit opposite. He could hit middle, and you couldn't stop him either way. You know, it was just. I mean, he had this red hair, this little blonde patch in front. That's <laughs> man, was he tough to stop? Like if you if you block Boss Vandegor, you accomplish something. Right. Because that guy could move the ball around, yeah. And there's some great all-around guys, too, that you maybe don't notice because they're not as in like a uh, Lorenzo Bernardi, great passer. I mean, good at everything, but not, you know, you don't look at them like just crushing balls straight down, but he's getting kills. He's just being smart. Andrea Gianni's the same way. So many of those Italian guys. Marco Leone, the center from Italy, who's, whose son plays in the U.S. now. Oh, does he? It's 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 funny to watch like Davide Gardini, like the son of Andrea Gardini, who I played against for so many years, and that was son's like dominating in college. It's just like where's his son playing? Who Marco Meoni? Or whosever son it is that's dominating college now? Yeah. Oh, uh, Davide Gardini plays for BYU, and then Marco Meoni's son plays for uh, Vanguard, which is an NAI school in uh, in California. Nice. But so many good. I mean, so many good. They're all good players at that level. You know, it's just, like it's splitting hairs. Now, Tom, after your time with the national team uh, concluded, uh, approximately what year was that? I want to say somewhere around 2000, give or take. Um, it was It was 2000. It was, uh, I was the last person cut from the Australian Olympic team for the going to Australia. I should say not the, it was the USA Olympic team going to Australia, but I was the last person cut and... Uh, my mom says that's why they did badly, you know, but it was kind of funny because my mom would always, my mom would call me constantly after they, they lost because I think they, they lost every match or every match except for one, I can't remember. Yeah, that was a rough But she'd one. keep, she'd keep calling me and she'd be like, you see they lost again? That damn boat be able to know what he's doing and I'm, just, I'm kind of like, mom, you know these guys are my friends, right? I'm actually rooting for them to win. You know, like, <laughs> these guys are all guys I've been playing with for, for seven, you know, five, six, seven years, a lot of them. I actually am rooting for them to win. I'm not, you know, twirling my mustache, hoping that they, you know, that the train runs over them. Right. But that right. was just kind of an odd thing. Yeah. That was actually a, a story I, I tell a lot about is, uh, one thing I, I never thought about as a volleyball player, I never thought about like when my, you know, my USA career would be over. Yeah. You know, just not something that crossed your mind. I don't really think it's in the mentality of a, of an athlete for the most part to think, when am I going to be done? When am I going to be done? When am I going to be done? Right. And I just remember that, and, you know, Doug told me I wasn't going to be on the Olympic team, and he's like, you know, we still have a few more weeks of practice here. Do you, I mean, you can stop now or you can practice. Like, no, no, I'll, I'll stay. I'll come to practice. You know, these are these are my guys, you know. So I finished up, and then I had that last practice right before they went off to Sydney. And I just remember 
walking to my car after out of the gym and just tears just running down my face. Oh, wow. Like, unexpectedly, I just started crying. And I'm almost crying now talking about it. It's like, it was just such an emotional... I wasn't crushing, it was just a, you know, what do I do now thing, you know? It's like, I've been doing this for seven years. What do I do now, you know? Right, like, what are your next steps going to be? Yeah, you know... And I would imagine when you're that good at it, you know, that just comes to define you everywhere you go and everything you do. Oh, for sure, for sure. Tom Sorensen, the, you know, the national champion at Pepperdine. It's Tom Sorensen, the Olympic yeah. athlete um, for the U.S. men's volleyball team. And, yeah, it's got a, I mean, unless you've been in those shoes, I don't think people can relate to it. You always hear these stories about professional athletes that once they retire, it's just like a gray area for a lot of them. Yeah, you know, that for sure. It's like, you know, they just have no... You know, some move on to something else, but yeah, I've, I've heard some, this can be really tough. It so was, did you go to the beachcomber that night? <laughs> you no, we to the Springs at this time, so. We went to the, probably went to the finish line, which was across the street, a little karaoke bar on the weekends. Oh, boy. I probably went to, but yeah. You know, actually, after that, then I kind of, uh, see, this had to be probably in this yeah, early summer of 2000. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, they did before like in August or something. I can't remember for sure. But and then I decided I was going to go back to school, try to finish up my degree. So I called up Marv, and you know he was happy to get me back in there. And I was like, like a grad assistant for. I got in there this, this second semester. It was actually so because it was during the men's volleyball season. I was only there for one semester. Mm-hmm. And what I did mostly, I coached a little bit, but I, I did a lot. I just played against the guys. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of found my passion again. Like I just enjoyed playing again, and I decided I want to play overseas for another season. So I got a hold of my agent and uh, uh, just told him, "Hey, I want to play again." Actually, no, not my agent. Uh, Tim Kelly actually was not my agent, but he was a friend of mine. He was that big middle blocker from UCLA, was he? Not? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Very, very underrated middle blocker. He always hit 500 every game. Probably had a block or two every game. But because he didn't look pretty doing it, he never got much accolades. Sure. I mean, he was, he was, good, he was a good volleyball player, man. It's like, you hit 500, get two, two blocks a game, you're doing some good things. Yeah, and if but, you're starting you know, for Al Skates uh, at UCLA, you better you know you're doing something right or you're going oh, behind yeah, that blue curtain. Yeah. <laughs> Someone else is taking that spot. Like the All-American list or anything like that because he just – he was a kind of a lumbering guy, but he was effective. <laughs> he looked great in the stat book, that's for sure. You know? Yeah. But I told home. him, and he found me a job in, uh, in Almeria, Spain, which is on the very southern point of uh, the southern beaches of Spain, basically. Okay. And I had that job, and I was actually there when 9-11 happened. Oh, geez. So when you say job, you're saying you were playing one more season for... I like... was playing in Almeria, yeah, for, in the Spanish League. Okay. For Unica Almeria. And uh, wow. she played with uh, Matt Furbringer, who was on the team with me. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so went over there. I arrived like in late August, like maybe August 22nd, 23rd around the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd been there for about two weeks, and then, you know, 11th of September. Whew. Gosh, yeah, I think everyone, I mean, you know, the generations prior, like our parents' generation, all knows where and when and you know everything they were when uh when kennedy was assassinated and for our generation i think we all vividly 
remember exactly when and where we were when uh, that news came came in. I can remember it well. I, I, I imagine for you being over in Spain, it must have been you know a little bit different thing. I guess having Furbringer there probably helped, though, at least to have someone to relate oh, to sure. and I talk mean, with. He seems like a really nice actually, guy. I actually played a season. I had a pro there. I played a pro season in Falconara in Italy in 96, 97. And I played that second one in, you know, we did talk about that a little bit, uh, in 2001, 2002. And it was amazing how much the world changed in those five years. Oh, I believe it. Like in 96, 97, I didn't have an email address. You know, I didn't, you know, I like I seriously did not have an email address. There were no DVDs at that time. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't have a cell phone. You know, I had to go to phones and like use my calling cards and stuff like that. You know, you'd get those prepaid calling cards to call your parents. Oh yeah, MCI I mean, or somebody, one of those yeah. ones, absolutely. And then, then you go over five years later, two thousand one. I have two <laughs> books full of hundreds of DVDs. <laughs> you know, I have a cell phone. I have email. I can call my parents. You know, you have internet in your room and I had all these channels I could watch and blah blah I mean it was like it was like going from the stone age to the, the, the bronze age in no time you know it was just like, like wow like five years time <laughs> it was so completely different you know it was just crazy I'd imagine that would make that much easier living over there uh, yeah. you know having you know those sorts of things as an as an outlet otherwise yeah. you know it could get tough and it was it was honestly it was a great season like uh, we had a great time like playing with Matt, you know, it's nice too because my time in Italy, I, I was the only foreign player on the team, so I was really. I mean, you guys were nice to me, but I didn't speak great Italian. You know, I was. I didn't have a girlfriend that came with me. I was just kind of all alone, pretty much. Right, and don't they have those really long, like everything shuts down in the afternoon for like whatever kind yep, of lunch? Time, yep. Lunch, yep. it's like three hours though. I remember reading in Karch's diaries yeah. when he played for Il Messaggero. He's <laughs> like, you know, yeah. you're sitting there, and it's like being there. They, they, that's what they do. But you're like, come on, I just want to eat and get out of here. But you're sitting there three hours, like. Oh. Well, that didn't bother me as much as much as like I would talk to them about like like going out in America, like going out with your friends, be like, yeah, we'd go out to a bar at like nine o'clock and then we'd be done by one or two and you'd be home in bed and your next day's not ruined. They're like, what? Like, they don't start going out until like 1 a.m. or something like that and go to like seven. Oh, geez. Like, I, was, I did it once. <laughs> I did it once just to prove that I could do it. But I was like, this is terrible. Like, why do you want to just completely demolish your entire next day Start earlier, get done earlier, and you're fine. <laughs> and <laughs> like sleep it off. And, and eat it off. Yeah, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, well, I suppose that's one of those things, like, culturally, though. And yeah, it was like, a great thing like, to experience, you know. Not many people like you can go to, say like, a they dance did. club at midnight, and it's totally empty. And then, like, 3 a.m., it's just packed. And it's like, what the hell is going on? You know, it's like, I don't understand this way at all. Yeah. <laughs> See. Well, it was fun though because we had, I had Matt, Matt Furbringer's on my team, so someone who spoke English, and we had a, we had a Slovakian guy and a French guy, and we kind of sp- spoke English, which was kind of our, you know, the the one language we kind of all spoke to each other a lot. And Matt spoke really good Spanish, which was good and bad for me because with him around all the time, I didn't really need to learn Spanish. But then again, I always had someone who could tell me what was going on, also. So it's <laughs> it kind of a crutch that like never helped me heal, pretty much. You know, so. yeah. And uh, did, we had a really good team. Like we were, you know, we had a few guys from the Spanish national team, Cos- Cosme Prina Feta, uh, 
Carlos Carreño, and then a few other good guys. We won the Spanish League. We won the Spanish Cup. We went like six and six in the World League, which is pretty good for a Spanish team at that time. You know, it was like it was a lot of fun. So you had a good hurrah with some success and some good players yeah. for like your last season. So you didn't kind of go out on yeah. a sour note, so to speak. Yeah. Like the the car walk to the. Well, I think yeah. everyone on the Olympic team at one point in time, uh, you know, had to had take that walk. You know, <laughs> either they yeah. left a couple minutes earlier, you know, like you know the carts or what have you, and then yeah. even the the great ones at some point, um, you know, the young guys pass them up, and that's just uh, the way For it sure. goes in life. So. Just, you're not gonna miss those coach coach on ones. I always heard those are brutal. Do you want to share a story about what those were like for the masses or not? I probably I probably received the worst coach on one of all time. <laughs> Who did it to you? When was it? Uh, Fred Sturm. It was probably uh, had to have been like '95, I think. Okay. It's either '95 or maybe early '96. Uh, we had a tour. With Japan, I think it was, and I uh, overslept my alarm, and I missed the bus <laughs> to the airport. Uh-oh. And I woke up, and then obviously, like I realized that I missed the bus. The adrenaline kicks in. I, I managed to make it to the airport. You know, I get a taxi and get to the airport and stuff. So you know, we get there, and I'm like apologetic and whatnot. But um, Fred's like, oh, "Well, you know, it's okay. You're gonna have a coach on one, though." It's like, "Okay." And so he tells me I have to get plus one hundred in a coach on one. Oh, and this is like, and, and uh, getting one is just you get up in the air and it lands in the court. That's one, you know, anything whether it's a dig or a dive, you just have to get the ball up in the air pretty high and in the court. So I do it Wednesday, and then he makes you do it for like five minutes, which is two minutes is a brutally long coach on one. Okay. So it's a Wednesday. I go for five minutes. I think I got to like you know mid thirties or something. Thursday again I go for about five minutes probably get to about you know 60 or so Friday comes along going for five minutes going for five minutes at the end of the practice like it's not just the men's team around the women's team are all around watching because we practice in the same gym and they're all around watching me and stuff like that and going 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 I get to about like 90 with my five minutes and Fred asked me do you want to finish this today or do you want to finish it Monday and I'm just like, I do not want this hanging over my head all weekend. No. Let's just finish it right now. <laughs> so we're going, we're going, like, everyone is cheering for me and stuff like that. Get up, because you're diving every time, and it's struggling to get up every time. It's struggling to get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. Keep you screaming at me in a good way, like, really trying to encourage me and stuff. Right. So I get to 99, and I'll never forget this feeling ever in my life. I get to 99, and I find this one little reservoir of energy. <laughs> and Fred throws the ball in the air and I run it down and I am getting this ball I am right there right there and my arms are on it and I completely shake the ball and I miss the court it's super easy I completely <laughs> shake it and the wind just goes all out of my sails at that point I'm just <laughs> and like you could hear like the, the gasp and everyone watching just like oh like it just felt so bad for me <laughs> so it felt like five minutes but it was probably you know 45 seconds a minute later that I finally got that hundreds one and I'm pretty sure I was so exhausted at the time but I'm pretty sure like Karen Kemner came up to me and said that was the hardest thing I've ever seen anyone do <laughs> and it was I just laid there for like minutes upon minutes and like I'm sure people came up and gave me like high fives and stuff and then 
Oh my goodness. I can't even, I can't even imagine the amount of like floor burns I had and stuff. It's like Oh, I bet you probably had to go home and throw some ice and uh, oh, I don't know oh, all yeah. that whatever stuff it was, that we it was put a Friday, on. So it's probably more likely a few beers and stuff, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm sure Wins, I, I, Winslow took you. <laughs> oh yeah, it's funny though. I tell my kids all the time, like about going up to the floor. I'm like, you just got to go to the floor. You're gonna get floor burns. You're gonna get mixes. Like, it got to a point in my life where I never noticed my floor burns until I took a hot shower, <laughs> and then like the hot water. I'm like, oh. I have a floor burn. Like I had, I had no idea. Didn't even know that one was there. Yeah, like you just completely forget about it. Like, but yeah, that coach had one I'll never forget, and I don't think anyone who watched it will ever forget either. Oh gosh, yeah. Well, I'm sure you earned some respect there by finishing it rather than yeah. quitting and waiting for the weekend. Yeah, had, you would have yeah. been obsessing over it for what? It's, 40 it hours. wasn't a net coach had one, but I also had another coach had one where I busted my chin open and got about five or six stitches. So you can, if you look under my beard, you can see this nice big scar under my chin. You got a hockey chin now. Yep, exactly. Oh, also oh. broke my nose once too. That was a good one. It was a uh, we, we were in Colorado Springs. And we were doing like an exhibition match, and uh, they're trying to do, you know, they're trying to come up with a system for a male for the a men's league in the USA. So they're trying to do like an exhibition match. It's gonna be like this, blah blah blah. And we were playing, and I was playing left side. I was playing outside hitter this day. No, no, I was playing right side because I'm trying to remember which double Phil hit me with. <laughs> and there's this overpass, and Phil and I both went up to hit it, and Phil like cocked his elbow back and just popped me right in the nose. Ooh. I mean, just got me flush in the nose. And I ran off the court and I sat down like uh, Indian style, cross-legged, and I just held my hand. I thought I hurt my hands at first. Cause I'm holding my hands under my nose, just waiting for the blood to come, <clears throat> and then just blood just comes out like crazy 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 wow, those are and Phil, Phil's like the nicest guy in the world he must have apologized to me a hundred times I'm like Phil you know I'm not mad at you at all it was an accident it's no big deal it just it happens sometimes but he was <laughs> he felt so bad he apologized he probably apologized the next day to me another two or four times like Phil we're good I'm not mad at you man it's like <laughs> but man I think it was gushing holy cow yeah, those are not fun, man. Ugh. I never had any major injuries. I just had a couple colorful ones, you know. Like, there's another one too. This one, I, I know I was playing left side. I dislocated my finger, and I remember, uh, and I remember that day too because we were in Japan and it was during football season. And it was such a weird thing because I, I read the article about they had the little snippets about the football games, and I and the one they said that Brett Favre like dislocated a finger. They popped it back in and they kept playing. And I remember saying to myself, man, if I ever dislocated a finger, there's no way I'd go back in and play. And sure enough, that day, uh, some overpass thing again. I'm left side, Nygaard's middle. And it was uh, an overpass, but it was just a little bit to his left. Mm -hmm. So he jumped left to hit it, and he killed it. And then he kind of backpedaled towards me, kind of stumbling a little bit. And I put my hands up to stop him. But my hand never made it quite in my middle finger my left hand like got the small of his back and just like popped straight back and I'm just like looking at it like oh you know <laughs> it's not supposed to go that way <laughs> yeah and I, I'll always remember the look of a uh, Chip McCaw and Greg Romano on the bench and they're just looking like these like wide eyes like oh like almost like they're excited about it they're like <laughs> they're grinning because they didn't see this thing <laughs> the trainer run, the trainer runs up to me over puts my arm under his arm and just fucking take sorry pardon my French just takes my <laughs> okay. and just like pops it back in and then we buddied him up and then we went right back in the mesh 
There you go. Yeah, yeah. two of your your waves uh, getting a kick out of watching uh, their oh, yeah. fellow teammates. Yeah. Uh, no, Greg, Greg Romano from Ball State, not George Romano. Oh, yeah, Romano. Greg Romano. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, fellow Racinian, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think those yeah. guys were at Horlick in one state my senior yeah. year in high school. They were good. Yeah. So that uh, you ultimately had your one final season there in Spain, and then um, did you come back to Wisconsin? Did you go back to California? What did you end up, you know, kind of doing as far as uh, I went, things I at went that back point? To California. I went back to I moved to Orange County, which is my why my phone number is still seven one four. Okay. And I was out there for a bit. You know, I was playing beach with my buddy Chuck Moore and stuff, and doing a little bit that way but beach was just never my passion I never I was never that passion it kind of bored me to it like beach didn't really interest me unless I had a friend of mine playing in the game you know if it was like I, John Hyden was like my last gasp of people that I know still playing you know it's like and it's just I don't know I never found it that interesting I know people love it I, I just feel like it's the environment people like more than it's, it's a really difficult game you know I know that it just kind of bores me it's like oh that guy's the best hitter so we're never going to serve him you know, so, so I'll never get to see that guy hit. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, you better learn yeah. how to set, yeah. Sorensen. Yeah. <laughs> You're only getting but I was, free I balls. I was only there for probably there for three or four months, and then I went back to visit my family, and you know, and Racine. And I remember getting on the plane to fly back, and I was just kind of like, "What am I flying back to?" You know, my whole family and stuff is here. The people that I, I, I love are here. Why am I going back? And that's kind of my flight back. I decided I was going to move back home. Mm-hmm. So at that time, like my brother was looking for a place too, so I decided to go back there, and he and I were to get a place together in Milwaukee. So is this Dan who uh, came yep. back and yep. throttled me in that fantasy football game this past yep. year? Yep. <laughs> I, yep. I've never beaten a Sorensen at anything in life. I must be a masochist, <laughs> and here I am doing an interview with you today. Par yep. for the course. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so at that time, I just made the decision to move back to Chicago, move back to Milwaukee, and then. You know, I just kind of got into the service industry. I was uh, serving and bartending for, you know, probably 12 years or so, a long time. I enjoyed it. You know, then I, at one point, I worked in a, at Rock Bottom Brewery with a girl who was, she was coaching at MATC, which, you know, didn't pay the bills. So she also worked at Rock Bottom. And then she kind of moved on to Greener Pastures. I mean, we were still friends and stuff, but uh, her name's Melissa Blessington. And she eventually got, she went to, God, I can't remember what the Southwest Community College in Iowa, I believe it was. And then she got the job at Ottawa University in Kansas where she and I played together and they wanted to start a men's program, not play together, coach together. Okay. And they asked her if she wanted to start a men's program and she said, sure, if I can bring in the person I want to bring in. And she just texted me one day and said, hey, are you interested in coaching? And a lot of it was because, you know, I didn't have my degree, so I never really pursued coaching because, you know, you always need to have your degree pretty much to get a college job. But they were game, you know, to have become coach there. and So it was pretty fun, you know. at the time. I mean, at the time, I had a really, really sweet bartending job. It was a union job. It was, I was making, like, 12 bucks an hour plus tips. I had medical, dental, paid vacation. So it was, like, it was a, probably one of the best bartending jobs in the city of Milwaukee, but... You know, I thought was that at Rock Bottom or that Miller Time Pub? That was Miller Time Pub. Yeah, Miller Time Pub. So you're part of the uh, hotel union. Okay. Yeah, so I people, heard that you were there, good but, wages. Yeah. but they, uh, yeah. I, well, it's uh, fun. There's always the uh, every year, like uh, 
the Badger Regional was always right across the street. So I'd see a whole bunch of, like, you know, Terry would come, Terry Paulson would come in, and a bunch of people that I knew would always come in, you know. I remember one time there was, there was a kid I played with, his name was uh, Giannis Tupesis, he's like a, a doctor now. And uh, we were really super busy with going on, I mean, like, so busy that I barely looked at people's faces and stuff. <laughs> I was like, what can I get you, what can I get you, what can I get you, and I'm just going, 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 going. And usually you get people's credit cards, you run it, and then you type in their name. And it's like, so I'm getting it, oh, a Bloody Mary and a beer, here you go, blah, blah, blah. I see the card, start your tab. Gives me his card, I go run it, I look at the name, and it says Giannis Tupesis. And I'm like, there's no way there's two Giannis Tupesises. And I'm like, so I turn around, I'm like, he's like, yeah, I'm like, Giannis, is that you? He's like, I thought that was you, man. It's like, it's like, so that was funny. He's like, yeah. I chatted as much as I could. I basically just gave my number and said, hey, let's get a drink tonight. And then he hung out, actually, at rock bottom that night. And got a few drinks, and it was just funny. It was just... Yeah, the things that yeah. happen in those uh, when you work yeah. downtown in the service industry and the people you run into. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, like Reed Sudahara coached at West Virginia. Mm-hmm. No, he was coaching at Cincinnati one time, and they played Marquette. So he'd come in, I'd be Reed. He'd be like, oh my God. You know, it's like. He was one just an absolute lord at uh, UCLA, I heard. Uh, and then. Um, he got in a, I think uh, he was hit by a car on his motorcycle and yeah, like, wasn't like, quite the same, but prior to that, I, even Adam Johnson told me when he was in college that he had never seen a guy hit angle like Reed Sunahara. He was, yeah, was a freshman. I've been told a couple times that Reed Sunahara was something to behold before he got hurt. You know, he was just otherworldly almost, you know. Yeah, yeah, that, that's for sure. And from what I heard, a real sweet guy, too. Mm-hmm. A really good guy. I ran into like Ryan Millar was there for like a conference or something. He came in one day and I'm like, Millar, what are you doing here, man? It's like, <laughs> it's amazing the number of volleyball people that I got to run into as a bartender. This concludes part two of our three part interview with Tom Sorensen. Thanks for listening. Talk soon. Mm-hmm.